when God met with Moses at the burning bush, he gave him exactly what he had to say to Pharaoh when he stood before him. We read that, if you want to refresh your mind, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 18. And the Lord said that they would come, them and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And Moses, when he responded to that divine call of God, he gave again the reason why he desired the people to go into the wilderness. Chapter 4 and verse 22. Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou wilt refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And so, you'll notice there, the reason was that they might serve him. And you'll notice, I think, that Israel had been singled out by God as objects of his special favor. They would occupy the place of honor and the place of privilege because God calls them his firstborn. And there's one other thing that the Lord wanted. Chapter 5 and verse 1 is where you'll find that. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. If you carefully remember or go through those three verses that I've read, there you will notice, men and women, the three things that stand out. First, they were to go a three-day journey into the wilderness and to sacrifice. Then there's a note about service. And then finally, there's the feasting. And the order of those things is important. The thought of sacrifice has to come first. That was required so as to avert God's judgment. We can only come into God's presence on the grounds of the sacrifice. The blood stands between us who have been guilty of sin, who've defiled and broken God's law, and who are polluted by sin's nature. We can only come before a thrice holy God because the blood stands between, and it's the, through the blood we're reconciled. So the sacrifice has to come first. And simple faith in the work of the atonement enables us to be at peace with God. And then secondly, there comes service. We cannot serve the Lord in an acceptable manner until we are reconciled to him through that sacrifice of the cross. You remember what Paul said. He said, whose I am and whom I serve. He had been reconciled first to God and then he served the Lord. And then comes the feasting. And the feasting, of course, speaks of fellowship and of gladness. And those three things are depicted in the prodigal son. First, there had to be the reconciling of the wayward son. And then there had to be his proper place. He was going to say to the father, make me as one of thy heart's servants. And then came the feasting. So there's a wee thought that you can trace those three things right through. But the truth is that the devil doesn't want God's people to remember those things or to follow that order. And so, 
His aim is to defile and his aim is to deflect by means of compromise. Why does the devil use compromise? Well, because there's an appeal to it. It offers your desire quickly. And you can put that across. I'm not just coming apart from the Scriptures for a minute. You can apply that to your own life. If there's a compromise, it usually gets you to have that desire more quickly. It often provides a shortcut to your goal. But remember this, that if you take that compromise, it sacrifices a part of that goal. Always. The argument goes, it's better to have some part than nothing at all. That's compromise. So there's an appeal to it. And then there's an acceptableness of it. Sometimes it's called these days consensus. And if you're not willing to compromise, you're considered as unreasonable. But compromise, when it comes to God's truth, when it comes to right and wrong, it's never acceptable where the child of God is concerned. Compromise also really attacks obedience. Disobedience is what the devil desires. Compromise offers a partial obedience, and a partial obedience is, in effect, a disobedience. And that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why it should be rejected when it comes to the things of God. And this morning, men and women, before, as I said, I go, when I come back, God willing, uh, to the tenth plague, the final plague, I want us to look at these compromises here. There's, first of all, the place of worship. The first compromise on the part of Pharaoh concerned the place where Israel should worship. You look at uh, chapter 8 and verse 25. And it says, a Pharaoh called for Moses for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God. And it sounds at first reading to be very good and plausible and reasonable and good terms. That is, until you read the rest of it. Go ye, and sacrifice to your God in the land. There's the defiance of Pharaoh. There's the compromise. There is a command that God gave, you see. It's couched in no uncertain terms. It called for a complete separation of his people unto himself. That was made very clear by the title in which God uh, is described by. We've read it already in our verses this morning. He's called the God of the Hebrews. Chapter 5, you'll find it in verse 3 as well. It says, and they said, the God of the Hebrews hath met with us. And that's a very particular uh, term and title. He's the God of the Hebrews because they were a separated people. They were a different people from the rest of the tribes and the nations, particularly in the land of Canaan and, of course, with the Egyptians as well. And God called them to to worship in a separate place. Men and women, as we have touched on already, the Lord commanded, therefore, that they should go a three-day journey. And three in the Scriptures, of course, is significant because it often speaks to us and reminds us of resurrection ground. God would have his people completely delivered from the land to the wilderness. Pharaoh said, you can worship the Lord in the land. God says, God commanded, it's in the wilderness. 
That meant apart from Egypt, which speaks, of course, of the world in the scriptures of truth. The initial response of Pharaoh is typical of the world. You look at chapter 5, verse 4. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? He's more concerned about the work. He's more concerned about the burdens of Egypt than he was about the worship or the service of the Lord. That's typical of the world. And now he permits Israel to worship, but not in the place that God commanded. Go ye and worship in the land. And to some, that may seem to be very tolerant on Pharaoh's part. The cry today is, surely there's room for all. You can have your religion as well as other people. Why be so narrow-minded? Why demand separation? You consider what the apostle wrote to the church at Corinth. Chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. For we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. We're not to be ignorant of his devices. And surely these verses expose the tactics and we're justifying, justified in considering the compromises of Pharaoh as examples of the sort of temptations that the devil brings to bear upon the people of God even today. Why worry about separation? Sure, you can go here and there and meet with others of other religions and all of the rest of it and worship with them. That's compromise. Moreover, I want you to home in and look at this compromise in particular. Pharaoh said the sacrifices were to be in the land, that is in Egypt. And Egypt represents the world. But the people of God have been delivered from this present evil world. You remember what the Savior said to his disciples, John 15 and verse 19, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. They're not compatible. How then can believers worship in the land? God must be worshipped in spirit. That means to worship him through the new nature. It means to take our place outside the camp bearing his reproach. It means being separated in spirit from all that is of the flesh. We don't want to come to the house of God and worship in the flesh. We worship in the spirit. And men and women, that is what Satan detests and hates. His aim is to get the believer to mix the world and the church, to have a fusion. And how many have succumbed to that? For there is the conditioning of worship today after Egyptian patterns, after Egyptian practices. What the world follows and hankers after is no longer kept outside the church, but is found to be imitated in many places of worship. I read an article, I referred to it on Thursday night past at the prayer meeting. I read an article this past week that reminded us of the culture these days. And we can say maybe a pass over the past couple of decades. The culture is generally geared towards the feelings. And truth is no longer objective, but subjective. And truth is what you want it to be. The result, of course, is churches use sound bites. They use entertainment. They use sermonettes. They use the methods that ape the world. And all the time, they're appealing to the feelings. 
sending the people out happy, tickling their ears as the Apostle Paul speaks about. And forgetting that the power that is needed is in the Word of God itself. The power is not in methods. The power is not even in the evangelist or the children's worker or whatever you want to call it. The power is in the Word of God. And you see, men and women, God has intended his word, his intelligible word, is to be understood by the mind. And the Holy Spirit takes that word from the mind and applies it to the heart. And the heart and the life is changed thereby. Let's not be distracted by the compromises that have the imprint of Satan all over them when it comes to our worship and serving the Lord. I want you to notice the constraint that is noted in how Moses answered Pharaoh. He wasn't deceived by it. He stands strong against the compromise of Pharaoh at this time. You'll notice the words of verse 27 of chapter 8. We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. Notwithstanding the danger that he expressed in the previous verse. He said we can't sacrifice, I'm paraphrasing it, we can't sacrifice here in the land because it is an abomination unto the Egyptians. The Egyptians counted the animals as sacred. And so there would be an uprising amongst them if they saw the Israelites actually sacrificing the the lambs, etc., as sacrifices. But notwithstanding even the danger there, Moses is firm in the word. He says, we will go. There's no mincing of his words there. There, there. There's no watery language there. He says, Pharaoh, we're going three days' journey. There's no backing down in his part. The compromise was unacceptable. And men and women, young people, that's the only way to answer evil and the temptation of compromise. It is with a firm no. Sometimes, young people, remember this, it's right to say no. Joseph was right to run when Potiphar's wife tempted him. He had said no before. The time came when when he... The words were finished and he ran. And it's right to do those things. But you know, Moses was also also faithful to God's word. You notice the end of that verse, 27, he says, As he shall command us. The final authority for Moses was the word of God. God's word would guide his conduct. And dear people, whether personally in your own Christian walk, or whether collectively as a church, that's where we must stand. The word of God regulating our worship as well as everything else. Not what the church does down the town or in the next town or what other believers are doing. It's as he has commanded. Don't allow the world's philosophy or the world's methods what it accepts to rob us of the victory. So there's the first compromise, the place of worship. Secondly, there's the pursuit of worship. Pharaoh resorts to another compromise. Look at the verse 28. 
He says, And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away entreat for me. It sounds promising again until the last part. Only ye shall not go very far away. Pharaoh wasn't ready to give Israel complete liberty. He still wanted to control them. He didn't like the notion of complete separation and so he contests that to the bitter end. But you'll consider what we're looking at here is a tactic of the devil. The devil doesn't, doesn't want the people of God to have a zeal and a passion in their walk with God. And so he will come and he will whisper, avoid extremes. Don't be so fanatical. If you want to be a Christian, don't let it spoil your life. You no need to give up those things that you loved in your unregenerate days. You don't need to read your Bible too much. Pray too much. You don't need to go to the services that often. Such whisperings. The devil seeks to snare many a believer with. And to some people you would think that there was a danger in getting overly involved or excited about the things of God. Yet those very same people have no problem in getting excited over the things and fanatical about the things that are carnal and the things that are secular. Those things the scriptures tell us are but fleeting and one day will pass away. Satan's philosophy is just the same as Pharaoh. He exhorts us not to go too far. You consider the type of Christ in these words. The very purpose for which God called Moses and sent him before Pharaoh was to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and to bring them into the land of Canaan. And so the words of Pharaoh, not very far, are incompatible with the objective of Moses and they're incompatible with the very principles of, of the Christian life. Moses can be seen as a type of Christ. For the Son of God left heaven's glory. And he came down to this scene of time that he might deliver a people from their sin and deliver them from the sin-cursed place and one day bring them to glory, bring them to heaven. And to do that, he had to go all the way. There was no compromise. He had to go all the way, which meant him laying down his life on that cross at Calvary. God's call to his people is found in Colossians 3 and verse 1. Set your affections upon things above, not on the things of the earth. Separation from this world is in our best interests. And John brings it out. In his little epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Incompatible. The world is at enmity with God. You can't serve two masters. We turn from those things that occupied our minds and hearts in our unregenerate state. We occupy instead ourselves with those blessings which impart a deeper, a fuller, a lasting and satisfying joy. Those things this world cannot never offer to us. And we do so with the assurance as Israel had when they were to go into the wilderness of having the presence of the Lord with them in the midst. 
You see, in his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Don't allow the devil or any man to deceive you from going on and going through with God by saying, don't go too far now. Don't go too far away. Remember, it's only what's done for Christ at last. There's another one. Compromise with people in worship. Pharaoh tried his compromises. They were rejected by Moses. But you come now to chapter 10, and again he comes back to it. Comes back to the same strategy. I want you to see how cunning this proposed compromise was this time. Has to do with those who are involved in the worship of the Lord. Read with me again verse 8. It says, Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? Who do you want to go? Verse 9, Moses said, We will go with our young, with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds. When we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go and your little ones. Look to it, for evil is before you. Not so go now ye that are men and serve the Lord for that ye did desire. He professed willingness again to let the people go and worship if they would leave behind their little ones. That's the language of verse 10 and 11 there. They leave behind the little ones. In other words, he was seeking to limit the number of people involved. Pharaoh desired to retain a powerful hold upon them through their natural affections. For how, how could they go and have done with Egypt as long as the children were still there? That would only be a half of a deliverance and therefore no deliverance at all. It would be useless to Israel and it would be dishonoring to the Lord's command. How cunning are the devices of the devil. And men and women, what Pharaoh sought to do is I believe what the devil seeks to do to this day. And he appears to have great success in some cases and in some families. He seeks to cause the next generation to absence themselves from the worship of God. And it begins with some compromises in the parents. Johnny, do you want to go to Sunday school this morning? No. That's all right. Or, sure, we'll go to God's house this morning. That'll do for today. Or, I've had a busy day and I'm feeling tired. I'll not bother with a prayer meeting tonight. I want to say this, and Calvin will know who I'm speaking about. That a man in Kilkeel is one of the biggest businessmen in Kilkeel. In fact, many of you probably would know him if I told you his name. His business developed beyond Kilkeel throughout the country. I never miss the permit. Don't use your business as an excuse to stay away from your permit. I 
Or sure, we can watch it on the iPad, on the sofa. We don't need to go to church. That's the latest one. Because of what we've been through this last two years. Men and women, subtle, cunning. But with the one aim of limiting the number going out to, to worship, which is a testimony in itself. As people in your estate or in your road see you getting out on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening to go to the worship. Forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Missing out on the fellowship with others of like precious faith. Never forget this. The day may come when you'll not be able to come out to the house of God. I go to countless homes and those people would love to be here this morning. But there's the infirmity of the body. The increase of years. We must consider the children as they are the main focus of attention in this compromise. Pharaoh tried to convince Moses it would be dangerous to let the children go on this journey. You look at the words again of verse 10. He said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you as I will let you go and your little ones. Look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. Moses and Aaron, do you not realize that the journey is dangerous? And it wouldn't be wise for you to let the children go. In other words, the journey would be too great for them. Don't we hear the same thing today? Our children can't bear difficult things. We've got to make things easier for them. And so that means no discipline. And that means no duties in the house. And that means, well, we can't really deprive them of anything. It touches upon our God-given responsibility to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God's Word gives us the guidebook. The training of the children is a very solemn duty and these days of lawlessness is an increasing problem. We know God's Word is plain, men and women. Proverbs chapter 22, and we could give other verses, but Proverbs 22 will suffice, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, look at that word very closely in your Bible. There's no typographical error there. It is not train up a child in the way he would go. It's not W, it's S, he should go. And that, for that we need the wisdom and we need the grace of God daily. This training cannot start too early. You think of the wise gardener. The gardener He begins with the plants and the trees which are young and tender and he trains those branches, especially if they're a sprawling branch type plant or a tree. He trains those branches when they're young and tender in the way in which he wants them to go. They just don't go every shape. And so it is and so it ought to be for the boys and girls. The children are as a rule very much what we make them. If they are to be made to be obedient, they will be so. But if they're allowed to have their own way, the result will be accordingly. That's what we see in society now. Leaving them behind in Egypt is essentially that. It is allowing them to have their own way. It is to be conformed under the image of this world. It is neglecting their soul's interest. It is a failure in following the footsteps Father Abraham, Genesis chapter 18, verse 9, you remember the Lord met with him, stopped with him, 
And he told them what was going to take place in Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abram that which he had spoken of him. He knew him to be a father who would gather the children and the servants, and who would catechize them, who would teach them, who would command them in the things of the Lord. He knew him to be such. And ironically, when you think of it, when Israel were to get into the wilderness, it wasn't the children that couldn't endure the rigors of that wilderness or the discipline of that, of that wilderness. It was the parents. It was the adults. The adults, they didn't get into the, the Canaan land, the promised land, because of their unbelief and because of disobedience. The children got in. So let's not listen to the lies of the devil. Pharaoh's proposed compromise would prevent the children from attending the worship of the Lord. Is a compromise still operating today? I could never understand. I could never get my head around it. Children have been taken out of the service. Not only are they not hearing the word, they're not being taught how to sit in the house of God either, but also the teachers and the minders are deprived of having their own souls fed for 10 months of the year. I can't understand that. It's called fancy names these days, no children's church and all that crack. But it's taking the boys and girls out of the meeting, not teaching them how to sit. And those teachers are not hearing the word either. You never underestimate how much a child can take in. Even when the message has been preached. It'll surprise you. I want you to see the company that is to be in worship. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 21 just to give you a little picture here. Acts chapter 21, Paul, of course, is on his missionary journeys. He's making his ways on the boat, making his way back to Jerusalem, passing Cyprus, and they landed at Tyre. You look at the words, verse 4, Finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. We're trying to discourage him from going there, verse 5. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. They all, who all, those who he met with, worshipped with, the church, in other words, men, women, the children were there. What a travesty if the children had been left behind. What a travesty if the children had missed out on kneeling down at the shore with the apostle, great apostle Paul. The children were there. I'll give you just one other example in the Old Testament of Ezra, chapter 10. Ezra, chapter 10, I was a great, great man of God. Chapter, chapter 10, verse 1. Now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children. 
where the people wept very sore. There is corporate worship, men and women. There's a company that should be in worship. I don't go along with women's meetings. I don't go along with men's meetings. Because the scriptures speak about corporate worship. The children's there. Today, we don't seem to want the children to miss out on anything. I guarantee if I spoke to some of the parents, they would tell me that every night of the week they could be bringing their children somewhere. And I'm not speaking against those things. It's always good to have a wee bit of recreation and all the rest of it. And I wish I was as musical as some of the children are. So boys and girls, don't you stop playing the piano and going to practice for that or the fiddle or whatever it is. But we don't want the children to miss out on anything apart from the work of God. The worship of God. And that's not right. It was Judah who said those words, How shall I go to my father and the lad be not with me? How can we go to worship if the children are left behind in Egypt? And that was the response of Moses, which was firm in the words of verse 9. He said, We will go. Did you notice that? We will go with our young and with our old. Parents, don't send the children out. Come with them. Bring them with you. And don't you worry, parents, about making a noise or two. We all were children at the one time, weren't we? And if they do take out with facilities there as well for your own discretion, but bring them out. Finally, the fourth compromise was the preventing of worship. It had to do with what Israel would bring with them. Consider the provisions in verse 24. Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stead. Let your little ones also go with you. So he goes a, a little further. He gives ground a little more. He, he permitted the children to go, but the flocks were to remain. If the devil could not keep them from going, then the next best thing was to send them forth without any ability to serve the Lord. If he could not encourage them to sacrifice in the land, then he would send them forth out of the land without sacrifice. Pharaoh said, only let your flocks. Just keep them back. Only let your flocks and your herds be stead. There's a miserable attempt there to make the best of both worlds and to serve two masters. Demas was one who was caught up with that same compromise. Remember what Paul wrote of him. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and the words of verse 10. It says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. There's a man that was involved in the work of God. There's a man who was one of us, a fellow soldier with Paul, and yet he had forsaken now, and he had loved the world. Ananias and Sapphira were the same at the start of the book of Acts. You see, the Lord says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If our possessions, if our provisions remain in Egypt, then so will our affections, just as it was for Lot's wife. That's why she turned, and she looked, and the word look there is a look with a yearning desire to be back with her possessions in the, in the city of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. She was turned into a pillar of salt. 
The devil uses this compromise today as well, persuading people to worship, but to convince them not to give of their possessions or their provisions in worship. That has the same effect as Israel leaving behind the flocks. There are no flocks. Then there's no sacrifices and no worship rendered. And if we refuse to give to the Lord's work, then it limits what can be done both on the home front as well as on the mission field. And I don't believe I need to labor this point to this congregation because I believe we have a delight in giving to the work of God. And we do so because we have the Lord's promise in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. For it says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. There's a promise we want to see experienced, isn't it? And we have the conditions. If we bring our tithes and our offerings above the tithe, even for the Lord's work, the Lord has promised he'll open up the windows of heaven. Pour us out a blessing. Well, not room enough to, cons- to, to contain it. But I want to leave and I finish the, this morning with a principle here. There's a principle that Moses gave an answer to Pharaoh in verse 26. And he says, Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind. There shall not an hoof be left behind. It means all that we have and are is held at the disposal of the Lord. He was holding nothing back. And Moses was taking everything with him because he desired to be adequately prepared to serve the Lord and to worship Him. There should be the preparation in coming to the house of God. You know, I I could speak of the older days and some of the older folks will know what I'm talking about. Would have been allowed to clean the shoes on a Sunday morning. That's preparation Saturday night stuff. And most of the dinner was prepared then as well. There's preparation. When you come into the house of God, even in the old church, old apostate church that I grew up in, the men and women went in and they bowed their head. There was a moment's silence. Preparing their heart for the worship. If there's any talking, it was a whisper. And we've lost that. There should be preparation, men and women, not just coming running in, as it were, of the last minute. Uh, and I'm not pointing the finger at people who are late. You can be late for, for, for obvious reasons and so forth. But there ought to be that preparation. And the same for our quiet time. Prepare to meet with the Lord. And Moses wanted to be prepared. That's why he says, We're bringing it all. And you know there was a revelation as well because the end of the verse says for we know not what we must serve with the Lord until we come hither. It was only when they got there that the will of God concerning their worship would be revealed. And if we want to obey God's will then we will do so by obeying every step of the way. Step by step. And Christ is the greatest example. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He didn't compromise. He didn't turn to the left hand or to the right hand. He laid down his life. He shed his own precious blood so that he might redeem his people, that he might purchase for them an everlasting life. Beware of compromises of the devil. 
especially when it comes to the message of the gospel, especially when it comes to the worship of God. But have that determination to wholly follow him. You're not saved this morning. I still point you to Christ. He's the only Savior. There's no other way. There's no shortcut to heaven. It's the way of the cross. That leads you. And you can start on that way this morning by giving your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help you to do so. May the Lord bless his word even to our hearts this morning. For his own name's sake.